I want to go back, not just to what I said in the previous episode about the fact that although we might wish to take note of what's in front of us and pay attention to what's in front of us, it isn't entirely clear quite what skills that involves. And to a much earlier remark that I made, to the effect that we are not very good at making the most of what we have and therefore tend to think that the solution to not enough is to have more. In other words, the solution to not enjoying food is to eat more food, not enjoying drink is to drink more, not enjoying a car is to have a bigger, better, shinier, more expensive, faster, more luxurious car, and all these kinds of things. What we try to do is to solve problems that are essentially problems of quality by more and more quantity. And so it's not surprising if that doesn't work and the ultimate experience of this would be someone who thinks that the way to manifest their satisfaction with life or demonstrate it or have an experience that makes them feel that they have arrived is to buy a 400 million dollar super yacht or whatever it might be that is the equivalent and then they wonder why they don't find that experience particularly pleasurable either, because they've only ever learnt to solve problems of quality by adopting solutions of quantity. The point that I want to make is that in the process of noting what's in front of us, we are, in a sense, understanding the nature of experience itself. What does it mean to have an experience and in particular what does it mean to have a rewarding fulfilling affirming experience that resonates and that makes us feel that we are in touch with something of real quality even if the occasion for it is something of very small quantity the economics of this are really profound uh, there is an enormous worldwide movement at the moment looking at things like what we eat, with the view being that meat eating is very inefficient, and so it's better to be a vegetarian and better still to be a vegan. And there are all sorts of apparent advantages from people making a transition from meat eating to vegetarianism to veganism because the amount of resources that it requires to sustain a single person reduces proportionately. I'm not here going to get into that debate, because I live surrounded by farmers whose lives would be inestimably changed were we to go down that road. But I do think that the example of changing what we eat in order to alleviate the pressure on the environment, merits extension to other things. In an earlier episode, I talked about the clothing industry. I've mentioned motor cars. There are all kinds of other things to do with, I don't know, luxury items like cameras or watches or phones or all sorts of things where the entire basis of the economics of the industry is based around built-in obsolescence, advances that are not backwards compatible so that you need a new phone or a new computer or a new digital watch in order to be able to run the latest software. And the assumption all along 
is that quantity is better than quality, or perhaps I should put it that quantity solves problems of quality. But does it? This is where taking note of what is directly in front of you starts to bite. Do we know how? I mentioned a number of features of this before, but if we don't know how, aren't we likely to join the endless cyclical treadmill of working in order to earn money, in order to buy things, in order to increase the quantity of things that we have on the assumption that more will solve our qualitative problems only to discover that it doesn't, so we work harder to get more. And the solution to all of this is to say, nope, the solution isn't to be found in more and quantity. The solution to my life is unsatisfying isn't to have more things. It's to learn how to make more, to interpret more, to experience more out of the things we do have, some of which are freely available right in front of our eyes. And this, of course, connects to living the present. Indeed, the whole point behind living the present is that if you are able, if you learn the skills of extracting as much of the meaning as you can from every day-to-day -day experience, then you will find your day-to-day -day experiences more fulfilling, you will get deeper quality, you will get more resonances, and so you will be less inclined to look for solutions in terms of more and more by way of quantity. The economic implications of that, to go back to where I was a few minutes ago, are quite profound, but so are the social and indeed educational and ultimately the human consequences. Let's just think about the cycle. The world is based upon quantity, not quality. We think that if we get more things, and particularly if we get supposedly better, nicer, smarter, shinier things, we will be happier. And so we need people who are capable of producing those nicer, smarter, shinier things. And so we need people who have been educated to service the industries that produce those things. And so the pressure goes from we need these things in order to be happy to we need people to make these things, to we need people who've been educated to make these things, which means people who are qualified to make these things, which imposes its own constraints upon what we can do in education or should do, or so we think in education, in order to teach people what they need to know, in order to pass the exams, in order to get the jobs to produce the things that we think we need. And we set up a self-reinforcing system whereby if people can't do the things we, the we's are all here in inverted commas, scare quotes, and I'm going to come back to who we are in a moment. If adults can't do the things we need them to do, then we will make sure that they can't earn a decent living. In other words, they won't be able to buy the things that they think will make them happy. So they have to comply with this logic of employment, and the logic of employment therefore has its own impact upon the logic of education.
Education must test, assess whether children have learned what we need them to know in order that they can grow into adults that can do the kinds of things that we need them to do, which is, of course, to produce the things that we want because we think that they will make us happy and so on. I think you've probably got the message by now. But all of this, of course, has an environmental resource, sustainability and indeed human cost because we are forever withdrawing more and more resources from the world. We are creating more and more pollution. We are producing more and more carbon dioxide in our manufacturing processes and we are throwing more and more things away in an ever escalating tide of quantitative easing, ha-ha, or attempting to make us happy. And it doesn't work. So why do we go on believing it? I think because nobody has really articulated an alternative. But the alternative depends upon something really very simple. It depends upon acquiring the art of appreciating what's directly in front of you, appreciating what's directly around you, appreciating the simple things, the often free things that life is about. People, animals, the natural world, relationships, experiences that arise in the interactions between people and that don't, generally speaking, require more than a sufficient supply of food, warmth, warmth of clothing and suitable housing, and then we have all that we really need to live a perfectly fulfilling life, a life lived in the present and that doesn't need to worry too much about the future any more than education does, because we are no longer on the treadmill that forces us to earn a living to buy the things that are supposed to make us happy that don't.